Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. You had to be there, the performance rankings, a slight tangent, and the crappy quiz. Have you ever done therapy, Adrian? Specifically related to the crappy quiz, though. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Welcome back to the show. It's Richie McCormick here with you this evening. Now, an article in The Telegraph today claimed that a culture of sexism pervades in Irish rugby, even in the year 2023, and a couple of days out from their third outing in the TikTok Women's Six Nations against Italy in Parma. The author of that article is Fiona Thomas, and she joins us on the line. Fiona, good evening to you. Hi, Richie. How are you doing? Nice to have you along. Um, I'm always uh, intrigued by the the, the germ of, of something. Um, and what was the... I guess the, the the starting point for you, without wanting to have revealed sources, etc., for this particular article. Yeah, I was asked this question earlier today, actually, on another pod. And um, to be frank with you, it was really just watching Nicola Friday, the Irish captain, after that loss to France last week in the Women's Six Nations, where I guess your listeners will be familiar with, with what happened. Ireland went out and they kind of got pummeled by 14-woman France uh, for... Well, there were 14 women down, I think, for, mm. for a good hour or so. And um, just seeing kind of Nicola's reaction after the match, it was so genuine. It was so authentic. You can see she's a very passionate, hardworking female athlete. And she just looked, she, she was so emotional. And I, I, I sort of kind of spotted similarities with the interview that Shuan Lillycrap, the former Welsh captain, gave sort of at this point exactly two years ago before the, the Welsh Rugby Union rolled out contracts for for its side and um it really sort sort of set something with me, within me and i thought well you know the sort of lack of support that the, the, the irish Rugby football union has has given its female athletes over the past well two and a bit years really with the with the failure of the team it's not qualified for la- last year's world cup it's been well documented and i just sort of wanted to kind of dig a bit deeper really to sort of uh see see what's been going on really and and, and how it's come to this how how it has come to the fact that these women are, are sort of being sent out to fail in a way. Yeah, it's been a <clears throat> it's been an interesting decade, I guess, since since Ireland won that Grand Slam in, in 2013. Um, the rugby team has probably been on a, a journey that it never wanted to encounter, I guess. And there's been a lot of authors of that particular story, and a lot of them would come from on high and how uh, the team was cared for or not, uh, as your piece kind of discovers as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned that team there, that iconic team of 2013 who went out and won that slam. And, you know, those were the sort of glory days, weren't they, for, mm. for Irish women's rugby. And, uh, you know, all those teams in the Women's Six Nations have been on a journey as such since then. And, you know, over here in England, we've uh, we've certainly been on a, a sort of triumphant and heartbreaking journey at the same time with the Red Roses obviously losing that, that, that amazing final to, to New Zealand um, in the World Cup uh, last year. Um what I what I would say is that, you know, as someone who reports a lot on women's rugby and women's sport, you know, I, I see the likes of England go out and wallop teams kind of week in, week out. Um, and they have been doing that, obviously, in this year's Six Nations as well. And I, I sort of fear what the scoreline will be when they come to Cork in, um, well, the week after next. Um, and, yeah, it, it just, you know, we it's it's kind of striking the kind of the way that our, our own union, the Rugby Football Union, has sort of, mapped out this kind of path for for our women's team over here compared to the lack of mapping out that the uh, the Irish union has done you know we've got the we've got the sugar babes playing at Twickenham at the end of this month nearly 50,000 tickets have really have nearly been sold for that match at Twickenham and you look at kind of where like the state of the the game is in Ireland with 
a lot a lot of players having left the country to come over and play their club rugby over here you know and you know the, the allegations that I kind of uncovered in, in in the Telegraph piece today about you know players being denied just simple things like protein supplements you know in the build-up to their Japan tour last year and you just think what like this is crazy on that particular issue, uh, the F part, sorry, the the RFU have pointed out that they have um, since employed. I think it was the start of February in the, in around that direction that they employed Emma Brennan as a full time nutritionist for the women's fifteen side. So you would imagine that issues like that have indeed been rectified. I would certainly like to think so, Richie. But then you know when you when you hear what you just said there, it's 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 twenty twenty three, and only now have they just appointed the teams the squad's first full-time nutritionist. I mean, I wouldn't know how long Ireland men have had a full-time nutritionist for, but I bet it's been longer than February this year, you know, and that's the kind of, that's where the, the kind of sexist attitudes, I think, tend to pervade. It's like, you know, why are we taking this long? These basic things to be put, this, these basic building blocks to be put in, you know, put in place for the women's team, which are automatically a kind of given for, for the men or have been a given for the men. Do, do, do you like I don't I know it's not stipulated in your piece can you give any indication of whether that player who was denied protein seemingly on, on that Japan tour whether they're still involved in the Irish setup uh, they're still involved um, but I would be reluctant to say any more than that just yeah. because I don't want to get any sort of hassle yeah. to, to put it mildly the contract issue is is, is a um, is an interesting one as well because there were 30-odd contracts offered to players last year. I think 27 took them up. And they ranged from 15000 to 30000 in terms of, of salaries. The issue within the article is that there wasn't a hybrid contract on offer to players who might necessarily be in a position like fifteen to thirty grand isn't going to pay the rent in Dublin. That's quite clear uh, to anybody at the moment. Uh, but there wasn't an opportunity for those who might want to tally that with their own outside work uh, for them to pursue that opportunity. Yeah, and that was one of the kind of really surprising things I think that that kind of emerged from from my kind of journalism, the fact that you know, this was this was a specific request as I understand um you know, among among many of the players. Um we we we're kind of at a funny junction in women's rugby at the minute, especially if you think about it in Ireland where you know, they haven't quite made that full-time switch yet to kind of complete professionalism like that we have with England over here. I mean, even at club level over here, there's there's a lot of talk about, you know, which which model is is it, which model best suits your kind of elite women's rugby player in this day and age. Is it sort of to go full time to be that professional athlete, or is it a sort of half and half situation where you you kind of have a dual career situation going on? So you kind of co- you're constantly enriching kind of one part of your your life through whatever that might be. Um, away from rugby and then you have your rugby playing side to it so I think um, well I know that was a, a, a kind of request from 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 the group and uh, yeah it sort of fell on deaf ears unfortunately it was a sort of no you've got to be in Dublin or, or not How many were involved in that group that wanted the hybrid contracts or wanted to at least have that discussion? I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to put a number on it Richie but I understand it to be obviously it was it was a it was well aired you know as a yeah. as a sort of it was it was raised um and this sort of goes back to the whole point about you know um you know things like things like uh or any any decision that that a union takes you know it's got to be sort of player led you know players at the end of the day have got to be at the heart of the decision making process because they're the ones who are living and breathing and you know and playing the rugby um 
and for example, it's quite concerning that on the on the whole white shorts debacle, very topical in women's sport at the minute with, you know, our lionesses over here yeah. recently switching their white shorts. Um, you know, to, to hear that that was just a sort of, okay, yeah, let's let's change the change the short colour without consulting any of the players. You know, that was again, it's sort of an example of of, you know, the sort of apathy I think that that, you know, is sort of being shown to so, women at the minute you know women, these women's players you know and i'm not saying you know the irish union isn't alone in this you know it's 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 kind of long kind of played other other unions other sporting organizations from you know outside of rugby as well it's it's a very common thing in women's sport where women aren't listened to um but yeah that was a, another big thing that, yeah, that take, obviously take us through that short issue because that's something that that popped up i think in all of our inboxes a couple of weeks ago uh, before the six nations started whereby it was announced that the Ireland women's team I guess in line with a lot of other women's teams across several different sports uh, had decided to or was decided that they will be changing short colour from white to a darker colour and that's obviously uh, to accommodate players who will be playing uh, while on their period and that's a completely sensible thing and seems like a completely uh, overdue scenario that they've actually come to, to deal with it turns out that there wasn't actually much player involvement in that and reading back through the press release that came through it seemed more of a marketing opportunity for the kit supplier than it did seem the outcome of a lengthy, meaningful discussion, I guess. It doesn't even have to be lengthy with the players. Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there completely. Like, I, I must admit, when I, when I first saw the news drop um, before, I think it was the same day as the Women's Six Nations launch at the yeah. start of March. Um, uh, oh. um, it was... Yeah, I I I missed it. I was surprised because, you know, I was um, I was at the Euros last summer where I asked Beth Mead, our our lioness striker, about the white shorts and, and whether she'd she feels comfortable playing in them. And Beth was very vocal about it and said, "Well, no, actually, it's quite practical. It's quite impractical for for the team." Um, eight months later, the FA announced that the the team are going to change the blue. So that was a process that took eight months. Um, and from what I can see, no, at no point has, a, has has an Irish women's player ever spoken out publicly about feeling anxious or stressed about having to wear white shorts and playing white shorts when they're on their period. Now, being on your period is a very individual thing as a woman. You know, some there might be players within that group who think the switch to navy is brilliant. You know, especially if they're heavy bleeders. Um, but I think the fact that like you said, it sort of just landed that day in everyone's inbox. Um, there was no sort of timeline of events that were mentioned. There was no sort of players, names of players who'd kind of driven this initiative. And the more I kind of looked into it, the the more I got the sense that, ah, well, this was a decision that was taken above the players. And that for me is, uh, yeah, a, a real red flag. Because like I said, these sorts of decisions have to be player-led. Did you manage to put that point to the IRFU? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and they they came back to me on that, and it's it's reflected in the article. Um, they said that the the issue about playing in white shorts apparently was first raised during the Japan tour last autumn, which is fairly recent. Uh, it's not like it's a it's a sudden problem or a sudden issue. No, no, yeah, fairly recent. Um, but if you go if you <laughs> re listen um, to Nicola Friday's. Uh, interview that she gave at the Women's Six Nations launch where she was asked at length about the shorts um, at no point did she mention the Japan tour 
We've obviously heard from Greg McWilliams today. Uh, he's been up in front of the media because uh, that's what happens two days out from uh, an international and they're playing Italy in Parma in the Six Nations. Uh, he was asked if indeed he had read uh, your article today. Um, I read the article. I, th- I think it'd be it'd be wrong of me to not read the article. And, and lots of it's historic. You know, it's the same things that you could have talked about last year. Um, you know, when I met David Nusifora in uh, 2021, I started on the 1st of December. Um, he outlined a plan and everything that we talked about um, were on track. And that's all we can focus on. You know, I was the, I was the only full-time staff member on the 1st of December. Uh, we now have seven full-time staff members. We have eight contractors that come into us for our competition week. We have eight new employments uh, along our pathway and our centres of excellence. So, like, there's been a massive growth in that time. And to be honest with you, talking about things historically is we can't control, and we can't control the external noise. We can control what we can do. And it's a good lesson. It's a really good lesson for these young players, uh, not just in rugby, but in life. Um that if you trust in the process of what you're doing and you've got good people around you, um, I've been really impressed with their resilience and and they're impressed. I've been impressed with their ability to to rise to the challenge of playing Italy. What happened previously, you know, I can't stop people talking about it. And if anything, that's that's something that you know they're they can talk about all they like. We've got to focus on Italy and we've got to focus on after Italy, we've got to focus on England and after England, we've got to focus on Scotland. We have to get better. The Irish public, you know, demand good performances. They've seen that with the men's and the 20 side and, and even the under 18s uh, girls sides were, were phenomenal last weekend. Is Things are happening here and as a head coach, I absolutely believe in the plan and the direction we're going in and so do the players and that's what's really exciting. This is a challenge for us. It's challenging our our growth as a group is challenged our, our ability to stay focused and the reaction has been superb and I've been really proud and, and impressed by how they're how they're dealing with that. And it's yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's it's an interesting article. But again, you know, it's it's nearly irrelevant at this stage. We're moving forward and we've got a great plan and we've got good resources around us. Fiona, when he re, uh, regards the article as being irrelevant and being largely constitutive of of uh, legacy issues, what's your reaction to to what Greg McGloom says there? I've got a huge amount of sympathy for Greg McGloom. I think he's got a very difficult job on his hands, and I wouldn't say any of this any of the stuff that I've uncovered is his fault. You know, I think everyone would acknowledge that he's just trying to do a job. He's just trying to lead a group of players. Um, and you know they are incredibly resilient like you said what i would say though is that i i consider it quite ironic how he's labeled all of those allegations historic when he's just sort of in that press conference today <laughs> announced all the kind of supposed strides that the union has made um you know in the past two years which are kind of no less historic than the kind of allegations that i've uncovered today if you get what i'm saying mm. um you know, in terms of all the infrastructure and increased investment that the union has has poured into its women's team since he joined um, as head coach in December 2021, that may very well be the case. But what's what's coming next? What's the future? You know, what 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 does the next bit of investment look like? Now, they're the questions I would certainly be asking. And um, look, I understand he has to front up difficult situations like this and put positive things on things on on you know put a positive spin on things. I should say. Mm. Um, that's his job, um, but yeah, I would question. You know, what what is 
what is the future of this team? Where is it going? Because I think a lot of people want to know. You pointed obviously, and it's something that struck me when the first um, first set of teams came in across the Six Nations weekend. The the paucity of caps that are down throughout the team. Like I think the first team selection against Wales, there was only, and this is top of my head, three players uh, who had twenty caps or more, and I think it might have gone up to to four in the next game. So it shows you where the the players are at. You mentioned the phrase earlier on in uh, t- today that they're being sent out to fail uh, at the moment and there seems to be a, not a suggestion but there seems to be a sense that until these changes and professionalism um, even if it's on a very base level do have a chance to take root that this is just going to be the lot of the Ireland rugby team for the next while next year or two at least and possibly even longer Yeah but I mean that's the sort of uh a, a possibility, I guess, isn't it? If if the situation doesn't change anytime soon, I just, you know, I'm I'm currently sat in the the WRU Centre of Excellence, and you know they're they're playing at a sold out Cardiff Arms Park on Saturday. Why is that? Because they've won their last their opening two games in the bounce. They've been professional for the past 15 months. You know, I think people have to wake up to the fact that women we're half the you know we're 50% of the world's population. You need to start investing in women, and if you invest in female athletes. They almost certainly deliver. And, you know, those Irish girls will deliver. They just need a bit of love and support at the minute because they're not getting enough. And, you know, like I said, I bring the situation back to over here with England because the the, the RFU, you know, they're doing something right if they can get 50,000 to Twickenham. The WRU is actually a really good example because that's shown what is possible in quite a quick turnaround because they obviously would have entered into professionalism themselves and, and offering contracts and similarly there's a, there's an avenue for, for players to go and play in the, the Premier 15s as well so it shows particularly what is capable uh, not even in getting the numbers into the Cardiff Arms Park but having the team be competitive in a, in a short space of time that it, do, it will take a year or two but it can be achievable Exactly. And you mentioned that key word there, competitive, mm. because that's that's what we're not seeing yet in the Women's Six Nations. You know, England and France, in recent years, they've really ruled the roost, England more so, because they've won it four, four times on the bounce. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, you know, I'm at Cardiff Arms Park on Saturday for Wales, Wales England, and um, England are expected to still win because they've been professional for longer. Mm. However, I would I would... I would expect this Welsh team to, you know, front up more so than they have in recent years. And, and you know, the, they deserve to because they've had that investment. They've had the contracts, you know, they've, they've got a full full-time squad now. Um, and yeah, I think, I think England will win on Saturday, but you know, the, the gap is, the gap is closing and it's all about closing that gap. Yeah. Uh, John Cronin as well was, was the, one of the few people to go on the record with you as well. He is the director of rugby at Railway Union. Were you surprised that so few people seem to be willing to, to speak out about the issues that still surround Irish rugby here? Uh, not really, to be honest, mm. because we know sadly what happens when women speak out in women's sport, women are taught to be to to always be eternally grateful for you know the crumbs off the table and for what contracts they have, even if it's living off fifteen thousand euros in Dublin. Um, I do wonder though whether you know at what point we might see a bit of a watershed moment in 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 women's rugby, especially in Irish women's rugby, whereby in women's football you've seen the likes of um, uh, Ada Ada Hedberg you know, boycott the Norwegian football team 
for years because she did not believe in what the Norwegian FA were doing. Now she's back in the squad because the Norwegian FA have got their act together and she's happy with the level of support that yeah, the women in our we, we had our own we had our own line in the sand moment here with the with the international soccer team whereby they weren't happy with the you know surroundings of of, of the team and how they were being treated at the time and there are certainly yeah. things that progressed to the point that they qualified for a World Cup and their profile in terms of uh, like you mentioned they're getting bodies in the door to actually watch the team has, has never been higher um, I'm conscious of, of what Greg McWilliams also had to say he was asked directly today if he believed the IRFU uh, was a sexist organisation no of course not I again I met up with David Nusifora in 2021 uh, and he outlined what his plan was I outlined the way I felt that it needed to go. And if you look at the staff that we have around us, you know, I was able to have a big influence in getting the right people around this group, brilliant professionals who care about turning Irish rugby into something that's going to be special. And yes, we're going through tough times, but I think I think that's part of why I'm enjoying it so much. Is it, it, it one thing I've I've always been so I've been a sucker for you know, working with teams, I've always been in the back foot a little bit, right down to when I was in school and I, t- I took up a role with um, with a, a senior cup team in Michaels. They'd never won a cup before. That really appealed me to be, it was really appealing to try and be that, to be with the group that did it for the first time. Same with the Irish women's side, I was with them first. They had nothing. They were losing matches by massive scorelines. And I wanted to be a part of that because I wanted to help them. You know, that's, when I, whether I was a school teacher or whether I was a rugby coach, Sarah, it's like, I just want to help people get better and, and achieve their true inner happiness and, and give them the confidence and the tools they can take with them, not just in rugby, but outside of rugby. That's always been what I'm about. That's why I'm a rugby coach is I love being around people and seeing them grow and develop. And, you know, part of that development is seeing them going through tough times and, and being upset. You know, there's a lot of upset faces last Saturday, week ago against France, not just Nicola. She happened to be the one who's being interviewed. But we have to own our performance. We have to get better. That's all that matters. That all that matters to you, Fiona? That, I guess. And, you know, wanting wanting the, the union, I guess, to put more, throw more, pour more investment into it. So see how are you going to get better without that? I wouldn't necessarily kind of just put it all on money and how much things cost and how much salaries are worth because, you know, I mean, women, women don't play, women don't play rugby for the money anyway, do they? You know, they, they play it because, you know, they love it and, they have that humble attitude, don't they? I mean, I, I guess, I'm a, I'm a realist when it comes to women's sport. You know, of course, women don't generate as much as as much money as the men do. You know, I, I don't know what the the crowd numbers are or have been in in at home for for Ireland or how many turned up to the France game. Um, but you know, that, that sort of revenue is not sort of the team is not commercially viable um, yet. Um, a lot of women's rugby teams aren't commercially viable yet. But this is, you know, a long-term investment plan, and that's what the Irish Union has has to recognise. That's what the RFU has recognised, and that's why it's on track to sell out Twickenham in two years' time. Fiona Thomas, I know it's been a mental day for you today in uh, in response to this article as well. So I'll let you go. And thanks so much for taking time out to speak to us this evening. No worries. Thanks very much. Cheers. Take care.